Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. What's up, Beth? Hey, girl. Hey. It's been a while since we've recorded. It really has. I was just right when you were saying your little intro thing, I was thinking, gosh, I kind of missed you a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. We've got this like log of stories that we recorded to like kind of give ourselves a little bit of a break and now we're back in and it's weird to me now. We've both been (laughs) traveling Mm -hmm. and so we're recording at night. Yeah, because the dang kids are home now. Because the kids are home and <laughs> and also because we travel. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I just got back. I was visiting my mom. You just got back. You were visiting your family. Mm-hmm. It's been fun. Yeah, it has been. It's good. We went to the wave pool. Oh, we might go to one of those this weekend because we're going out of town again for the weekend. So. Oh, we are too, but don't do it. I got to tell you. No? No. Scary? Yes, it sounds really fun. It really does. It sounds super fun. And it probably was. My kids had a great time. I did not. No. Yeah. Because you have to get in the water. Well, I have littler ones than you, although you would with your little one. Mm-hmm. And I had to get in the water and it was every 12 minutes <laughs> that they do the waves. And so every <laughs> 12 minutes. And you know what else is funny too? That, you know, so my I'm in West Virginia. That's where my family is from. That's where I am. And all of the other parents were also in the waves. And the amount of times that I saw a kid partially drowning and then heard an adult say, yay, (laughs) yay. (laughs) If I had a penny, if I had a penny for every time I heard it, I could have paid for our admission to the wave pool. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) Yay. Use your legs, (laughs) yay. I think I'd probably just be like this. 300 times. <laughs> at least 300 times. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Staring at every single person like, no, because I was trying sick. to, I was trying to save my kids also. I was on high alert. I needed to know if they were all right as well. <laughs> yeah. It was something. Sweet. Well, that sounds like fun. There you go. <laughs> First or, or no, don't go. Don't do it. Don't even bring right. it up. Well, I won't do that. I'll just go. I'll go in the lazy river if they have one. Yeah. More my speed. So. Literally. <laughs> um, but we have some exciting stuff coming up next week. We do? Know? Wait, what? Uh, Instagram Live. Oh, yeah. We're going to do an Instagram Live. I'm, I'm, lo- I just. I'm fine. I'm here. Don't Just worry about it, Beth. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we are going live on Instagram, and I remember. Yes, you do. Well, you better remember that day, otherwise I'll be by myself. <laughs> June thirtieth. See? Yes, because we are going to take the month of July off. Well, not you're going to get some episodes. You will not every week. I think we said two weeks at the, the first end. Two weeks of July, we are not releasing an episode. So we are sending you out with a live video stream of us. We are going to talk crime, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. We are going to talk whatever comes up. Yes. Send us questions. We want you to send us questions. We want you to send us topics. If there's like a story that you've heard about that you want us to know about, Mm -hmm. send it to us. It'll be whatever. Come join us on Instagram on June 30th. At, at what time? I was just going to say, what time are we nine, nine o'clock. Nine Eastern? Eastern Standard Time. Okay. I'm in. I can and do we'll that. we'll be on until it's boring. 
Yeah, until there's nobody there. I mean, well, unless there's nobody there the whole time, then we'll stay for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give it a little bit of time. Come join us and then you will get, you will be crime free for two weeks, at least crimes and closets. And then we'll hit you back the last couple of weeks of July and we'll be back. With some good ones, I will say. The ones that are coming back are- They're good. Pretty good. Yeah. So So mark your calendars, send us your Mm -hmm. questions. Yep. And come join us June 30th for a L-I-V-E Instagram. I probably won't even figure out how to work it, but it's fine. Well, we've done it to like do a contest for like 10 seconds, you know, where we pick a name out or something. We've done that. That's true. That's true. But this will be more fun. Like we'll just, it'll just be like this actually. You and I sitting here recording, chatting, and whoever wants to join us and like type in questions (laughs) or or send it to us in advance. We'll holler. Yeah. Holler at you. <laughs> um, so I think that that's – is that the only announcement we had? That's yeah. all. It's all the housekeeping. Okay. That's the all the housekeeping. Um, and the only other thing I want to mention is that at the end of this episode, we got another tagline. So, guys, you can keep sending them in because we've gotten a couple more. So they'll be on the next two episodes. Um, so Irish Nicole – Thank you for sending that in. That was awesome. It'll be at the end, featured at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that. Hang tight. Yes. And with that, I've got a story for you. Give it to me. Okay. So as always, our listeners don't disappoint with their suggestions. This one was quite different than usual. It's an old crime, which we've Ooh. done a few of. I know. like the old crimes. Yeah, yeah. They're, some, they're, they're interesting. It's just they kind of, you know, don't have a whole lot of that forensic stuff and whatever that you can dive into. So it's like, here's what happened. This is what we know. And then this was the result. Boom. That's it. Got <laughs> so, it. So an anyway. easy one for you today. Yeah, it was sort of an easy one. Nice. But this is the story of the murder of Helen Clevenger. Oh, never heard of it. I hadn't either. So thank you, Karen, for suggesting it. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. (laughs) Helen was born on November 4th, 1917 in D.C. However, she grew up in Great Kills, Staten Island, which I've never heard of. Oh, weird. Which is in New York. For all of you guys that don't know that Staten Island is New York. It's like kind of next to Brooklyn attached by a bridge. Isn't Staten Island where the Statue of Liberty is? Well, it, Statue of Liberty is in the middle of the... No, I know, but I thought yeah, it was... I mean, I guess... I don't know, actually. Got I it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going to admit that. I'm not even going to pretend to know. I don't know where it technically is, but it's in the water. Maybe yep. it is in between somewhere that it's labeled. I don't know. Somebody will let me know. So <clears throat> anyway, she's from Great Kills, Staten Island, and she went to Tottenville High School, which... When, when I first read that, I was like, why does that sound familiar? And so my aunt and uncle and cousin lived in Staten Island, so I grew up like going out there all the time. And so when I mapped this and looked at it, she actually doesn't live far from where my aunt and uncle and lived. And I think, I cannot be sure, my cousin may have gone to Tottenville High School. Oh, okay. Because it looks like it was like pretty much around the corner from where she lived, so it makes would make sense. But who knows? I can't verify because we don't speak to them anymore. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> On the next episode. No. <laughs> yeah, <you're right>. anyway. 
I tried to verify, but nobody else could remember. So anyway. Got it. So Helen was the daughter of Joseph and Mary Clevenger, and Joseph was a chemist. Helen seemed to be following in her dad's footsteps because when she graduated, she had earned several scholarships. So maybe not in the chemist field, but just seemed like she was doing well in school, pretty smart, intelligent person. She chose to go to NYU. She had just finished her freshman year in 1936 and decided to take a bit of a tour of the South that summer. So in June of 1936, she headed from New York to Raleigh, North Carolina. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> she went to visit her uncle William Clevenger, who was, you know, not that this is important, but a 50-year-old single guy. Whatever. Yeah, it's a bachelor. He was also a professor of agriculture and food science at NC State. I was getting ready to say NC State. We were the mm-hmm. ag school. He had several weeks planned out for them to take a road trip throughout the region to visit kind of a lot of different colleges. And hopefully she, he was going to, like, you know, inspire Helen to choose a career in science or medicine. So he was just kind of bringing her around. She was super excited about it. I mean, she's like 18 going on 19 years old, and she's out on this adventure of sorts. And she was writing about it daily in her diary. And she would also send notes home to her, you know, write letters. When when you actually put a letter in the mail Mm -hmm. to somebody, she'd be writing letters to her parents to let them know what was happening. And us can imagine in this time frame, were a lot of women even going to college? I'd imagine not. Right. You said the 30s, right? Yes, 36. Interesting. Yeah. So on July 15th, they arrive in Asheville, North Carolina. That's in the mountains, for Mm -hmm. those who don't know. That's what I was going to say. For those of you who don't know, it's in (laughs) the western part of the state in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Super pretty hip kind of town now is how I would describe that Mm -hmm. town. A lot of craft breweries. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Kind of foodie. And I think actually back then it was kind of still like a hip kind of town, just in a different way. Um, in the 1920s, they had a booming economy, and so they had expanded with shops and buildings. There was a new library, a new courthouse, hotels, etc., and celebrities were just flocking there during that time. But then the stock, mar- stock market crashed in 29, and it kind of left them in financial ruins. And I didn't realize this because I haven't looked into, like, Asheville all that much, but they were, like, one of the top – like, they had the most debt per capita because of that in the entire country. Huh. That's weird. Which, yes. But their founding fa- fathers of Asheville, they paid the debt back themselves. Wow. Personally. It took them till 1977 to do that, which I only added this in because it was just an interesting little that fact. It is interesting. Pay that debt off, but they paid it off personally, them and their like future families, like the, the lineage. So anyway. Interesting. Wow. Talk about a crappy inheritance. Right, no kidding. Great, I have to pay Asheville's debt down. <laughs> because my great, Thanks, great, grandpa. great grandpa in the 30s. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, in 1936, they're still at that point in the depths of, you know, this debt and trying to overcome the financial um, issues. And so they're welcoming all tourists to the area. Helen and Uncle William were staying at Battery Park Hotel, which at this time was a 12-story, pretty high level hotel, you know, probably, you know, you had money, you stayed there. Okay. <laughs> so. They had a lovely dinner with some of William's friends. And after dinner, Helen said goodnight and went back to her room around 1030 p.m. And William went down the hall to his room. So they had 
separate rooms. Okay. That night, around midnight, a bit there was a big electrical storm that went through the area, and so there was just huge thunderclaps cl- going on. And some someone staying in the room across from Helen's heard what he thought was a gunshot, and so he called the front desk. So somewhat of like a security guard. I don't know. They had these weird names and titles for some of these workers, and I've just kind of translated it into modern times. <laughs> so he was seemed like he was a security guard. He goes up to check it out. And determined that that was probably just a loud thunderclap that the person heard, and it was just mistaken for a gunshot. So, because hmm. he like went and like kind of listened by some of the doors and didn't really hear anything happening, so he was like, eh, "It's probably just thunder." So he leaves. The next day, William wakes up <clears throat> and heads down the hall to get Helen for breakfast, and he knocks on her door around seven thirty in the morning, but he doesn't get an answer. So he tried the door handle and found that it was unlocked. And when he entered the room, he found Helen lying on the floor in her pajamas. She was badly beaten. Her face was badly beaten, and her, she was shot in the chest. Oh, my goodness. Yes. The police were immediately called, and they scoured the crime scene. And at the scene, only a few things were found. So I'm just going to kind of list a few of these things. One was a 12th room key. This is what was in the article. There wasn't a whole lot of articles on this, but they were... Very specific on this 12th room key, because apparently there were only 11 keys in the whole place, and all of those keys were in the possession of whoever was staying in the room that they, that they belonged to. So there wasn't supposed to be this 12th key. No one understood why there was a 12th key and where it came from, because her key was found in her room underneath her radiator. Weird. Yeah. So just, you know, random. Um, there were some fingerprints found at the scene, but they were deemed useless essentially at the time because I'd imagine there wasn't a whole lot of like fingerprinting going on and, you know, I mean, clearly they're doing it, but they, you know, it wasn't, they, they weren't useful because there was nobody that they matched. Um, there was a 32 caliber bullet casing laying near the body as well. And this casing had an H engraved in it. And when they had kind of investigated that, they had found out that there was no ammunition that had been sold in Asheville with that engraving on it in at least 10 years. So this is just kind it's of old. random. Yeah, it's old. There was no sign of rape or attempted rape. The police questioned 60 hotel staff members, which I find this interesting that they say there's only 11 keys. And I don't know if they meant on that floor. Because why do you have 60 staff members for like 11 rooms? Also, this is a 12-story room. So I, was I just didn't understand. Say, wasn't it a huge building? Right. So I didn't really understand that whole, there's only 11 keys. So maybe it was like that floor. Everybody had their Gotcha. Keys. Or every floor has its own special key. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is the first floor room keys, and this is the second floor room keys. <laughs> right. And this 12th key was found in her door. Like, it would have worked to open it. So anyway, so... Whatever. Okay. <laughs> so they questioned these 60 hotel st- staff members and guests of the hotel. They detained William Clevenger and the security guard, Daniel Gaddy, but they were both released not long after and like deemed that they didn't have anything to do with this. A bellboy working that night had said he had seen a mysterious man creeping around the lobby. He was about five foot nine and 160 pounds. And he said he watched him run from the lobby at one point to the manager's office and then out the door. And the guy jumped off the porch of the hotel, which was about a 15 foot drop. Well, that's suspicious. 
right? Mm-hmm. A little bit suspicious. The guest staying in the room across from Helen's heard a scream in the middle of the night and came out of his room around 1 a.m. And when he stepped into the hallway, he spoke what with what he described as a shadowy figure in front of Helen's door. So just had a little bit of an exchange and this person left. So I'm assuming what that... What they say? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there's no, there's no like record of what was said. I want to know. Uh, I know. I want to know too. And I would imagine that like it's dark. Hotels are probably a lot different back then. You know, you walk up, you, it's one in the morning, you're groggy, first of all. Mm-hmm. You hear a scream, you come out and it's a dark hallway. So he sees a shadowy figure. I don't understand how people see things like this. They're in a hotel. It's the middle of the night. They hear a scream and then there's some creepy guy standing in front of your door and they're like, hey, you good? Right. I'm going to go back to sleep now. Maybe he just thought it was whoever was staying in that room because maybe he didn't know it was. I know, but wouldn't you be like, why are you screaming? Well, that's true. What did you scream for? Right. What, you woke me up. Right. Why are you screaming? Do you need help? Exactly. <laughs> call somebody. Call, and also, always call somebody. Well, and also somebody was called for a gunshot earlier. So like, <laughs> why yeah. are you not calling now that you hear a scream? <laughs> exactly. A scream. It's strange. I don't know why we we don't follow our intuition in situations like this sometimes right. and it always surprises me right well if also too back then it's probably there's not a lot of this happening especially in like Asheville and you know you're not expecting a crime to be I guess occurring. you're on vacation now, we would be like we heard a scream and a gunshot someone's dead <laughs> we are on high alert <laughs> right so I don't know different times So based on all of these things, they start looking at a few people as suspects. And when we get back from the short break, I will get into all of those possibilities. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. With summer upon us, we hope that everyone is finding some time to relax with a cold beverage. After the year we've had, we all deserve it. My favorite way to chill out these days is by playing Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a fun mobile puzzle game, and us in the true crime world love solving puzzles. The game has a great balance of being easy enough to play while I relax, but challenging enough to hold my interest and keep me coming back for more. It has lots of colors, really cute characters, and they add new things every day. I made it to level 100 and have upgraded some of my characters and feel like I'm in a whole new game. Guys, it's fun, it's cute, and it's something just for me. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. So join Christy and I and download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Okay, so police are trying to figure out who would kill this innocent young girl in quiet Asheville in the early morning hours of July 16th, 1936. So here are a few of the suspects that they're looking into. 
They start to look at two young black bellhops that are on duty that night. Um, so they clearly had an opportunity. And let's face it, they were black. And at this time, the 30s. no doubt, that played a huge role in why they looked into them initially. But they swear to their innocence. And for whatever reasons, there's not much about it. And they just kind of don't get that much attention. And it's like, no, they probably didn't do it. <clears throat> Then they suspect the security guard, Daniel Gaddy, mm-hmm. simply because this was mentioned in a couple different places, and I don't entirely understand it, but it says because he did not punch a time card in the corridor outside of Helen's room at 1 a.m. when he went to go check on things like he was supposed to. So I don't really know what that means. Like, was if he goes and checks, is he supposed to punch something so that they know where people are at? That seemed pretty sophisticated for that time, I would think. It's also but, a little bit of micromanagement. But right. Maybe that so, was their security back in the day? Yeah. So I don't know, but this was what was mentioned every time. Like, oh, he didn't punch that time card in that hallway when he went on Helen's hallway. So he's a suspect. And I don't okay. really quite understand it. So... A tip was also given to investigators that Mark Wallner, who was a 35-year-old German violinist who had been living in a studio apartment across from the hotel for um, the last two years, he was divorced, I think divorced, they call it an estranged wife and a daughter Mm -hmm. who lived with the the, um, mother. This person told um, the sheriff that Mark had told him he had a date around 10 p.m. that night with a girl at the Battery Park Hotel. Mm -hmm. So the sheriff went back to the guest staying across the hall from Helen and said, hey, you saw a shadowy figure. Mm -hmm. This guy's a violinist. He's playing at this other inn tonight or on July 17th. You want to go down there and see if like he matches your like height and whatever description. Shadowy figure description. Yeah. So he does. And he's like, yep, he fits the build, but his voice is a little bit higher pitched than the guy who spoke to me. But clearly, like, I don't know, he's playing and he's he's playing his violin. And if he's singing, I would imagine his singing voice might be a little different than. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So who I don't knows? think you can sing and play the violin. Yeah, I didn't think so. Doesn't either. the violin go under your chin? Right. So, yeah. So he's probably That'd not hard. So I don't know how he knew. Maybe he was just talking and maybe they talked to him or something. I don't know. But anyway, he basically says that he has a higher pitch than the guy he spoke to outside the door. But anyway, because he fits the description, he they bring him in for questioning and they actually hold him in jail for a couple of days. I don't know if this was like the way they did things because they held William in jail for a little while, too, while they were just questioning. None of them were ever actually arrested. Yeah. So they hold him in jail. And during this time, a physician comes in and checks him out. And he has the fresh cut on his left foot, a bruise on that same heel, and brown stains on his clothing. So does this bring anything else to mind? When he jumped off the ledge? Mm, Or jumped off the front? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody jumped off. So that could be, those all could fit. Does he fit the person who, the guy working at the front desk? Did he ID him? He, that is not mentioned, and I don't know, so he could. Mm -hmm. He could. I don't, I mean, there's no real description of this guy given, so I don't know if he's five foot nine and around 160 (laughs) pounds, so he could, but. um, So the bellboy says that guy jumped off the force, so this could have been the same, you know, injuries from that jump. 
Mr. Wollner is saying that he has an alibi, though, because he was at home all night, even though somebody else said he had a date. But he was saying, I was at home all night with my landlord or landlady's sick daughter. And those people cor- corroborate that. So, oh. Who knows? But there's other witnesses that kind of negate everything that everybody else is saying because a reporter saw Mr. Wollner from 10 to 10.30 drinking a beer at the hotel restaurant. The ho- the Battery Hotel? Yes. Oh. A girl, just a girl, just a random girl, <laughs> said they saw him on the street around 2 a.m. And then a man, just a random man, saw him drinking coffee at 6 a.m. the next morning. And then one of Mr. Walner's neighbors said they saw him coming home around 6.30 in the morning. Hmm. That and sounds like s- a timeline. I uh, know. And when they saw him, they noticed that he was having a hard time walking up those steps because of that injury that he has to his left foot and ankle. Interesting, Mr. Walner. Right. But regardless of all this damning evidence, in my opinion, it's damning evidence. Well, he's circumstantial. Released, yes, I guess. But still very suspicious. Yes. They release him from custody about a week later. Okay. So this is when they also question William Cleaver or Clevenger after because he yes because they don't get to question him right away because he leaves and he goes to the funeral and mm. I don't remember where it was but they he goes to his funeral and then when he comes back they start questioning him I mean they question him initially but then they start really questioning him as a suspect and hold him for a little bit but then release him as well so even though I'm pretty sure Wolner had something to do with it at this point but they've released him they're at a loss. They're like, okay, now we don't know. We have no idea what's happening. So after Mm -hmm. three or so weeks of investigating, the NYPD send two detectives to help with the investigation. And as soon as they get to town, the hotel cook tells police. It's actually said in one of the articles I read that he whispered to them. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Loki, come here. Excuse me. Let me tell you something. Um, That the hotel, he tells them that the hotel janitor, Martin Moore... Let me add that he's also African American, owns a 32 caliber revolver. Oh, come on. So they run to question Martin Moore. He denies at first having the gun, but then admits it, and they he leads them to the gun that's wrapped in a burlap, some sort of burlap, in a crawl space under his house. Well, that's so they, weird. Yeah. Yes. Why would you keep your gun in your crawl space under your house wrapped in burlap? Well, it is entirely possible because this is now weeks later that he's like, well, I have a 32 revolver and this girl was killed with a 32. So I just need to like hide this somewhere because they're going to suspect me. Mm. Maybe. I know. I know you're looking at me. I don't know about that. Okay. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not (laughs) saying I believe it. I'm just saying. (laughs) So they rush the gun to the NYPD lab and find that there are similar hairs to Helen's on the gun. Similar hairs, because they're still, they're not doing DNA testing at this point. Why would her hair so, be on the gun? Well, if it was the gun that killed her, then maybe, you know, and they're in the room, it got on her. I don't know, because she was ki- shot in the chest. So I Exactly. Don't know Unless he beat her with the gun, I don't see why her hairs would be on it, but. Oh, well, no, her face was beaten with the gun. The gun. Oh, sorry. it was. Okay. I'm sorry. I neglected to say that earlier, and that was a pretty substantial fact. I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I said her face was beaten, and yes. they didn't know at first what, what, what was used, but then they realized that whatever the gun had a piece 
that was like protruding from it and that's what caused because they didn't think it looked like oh, the gun but it was well now that anyway. makes sense that her so, hair would be on the gun then okay, yes okay. so her hair was found on this gun so <clears throat> the sheriff who had been working the case in Asheville then announces quickly after they find these hairs that Martin confessed to the murder and in the confession it is stated that Martin was looking to rob someone that night and he was checking all the doors and came to Helen's and it was open. He wasn't expecting her to be in the room, but she was. They got startled and he shot her. And that's basically all he says. And beat her face. Well, he doesn't say that, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. Long after the confession, not long after the confession was given, he recants it all and says that the sheriff coerced him and a big fat man from New York beat him with a rubber hose <laughs> to get him to confess. Oh, that's not funny, Burke. <laughs> this is put in reports. I love it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this big fat man he was referring to was apparently one of the detectives from New York. <laughs> now, I'm going to say it's 1936. He's a young black man, very un- uneducated. So his choice of words was like, I don't know this guy's name, but he was a big fat guy from New York. I yes. knew that. And he beat Amazing. me with a hose, essentially. A hose? Good grief. Yeah, a rubber hose. What? Like, I, I mean, this is very specific. But anyway, four days later, a psychiatrist says that Martin also confesses to him. Within 11 days of finding the gun, Martin Moore was indicted and put on trial for the murder of heaven, heaven, Helen Clevenger. And he was facing the death penalty. Oh, no. So this is super fast. I mean. Yeah. That's how it goes in the 30s, though. Right. Well, and especially like murder of a young girl and. A young you know, white like woman. A young white woman. A black man. Right. Exactly. So Martin's attorney attempts to get his confession thrown out because he's an uneducated black man and his family and he are both testifying that he was at a birthday party with the family at the time of the murder. So because that's what I'm saying. Like they have this gun. And this gun is his, yes. And they believe it's the murder weapon. But that's, that's, that's it. Like, they're saying he has an alibi. But anyway, mm-hmm. the judge denies all of it and just allows the confession to be put into evidence. So during the trial, the 12th key that I mentioned was never mentioned. Huh. It was never even brought up. And this now, is would a janitor have the key to the like you know how there's a master key to hotel rooms, right? But they're saying that all the keys were accounted for, huh? And that they didn't have that, I don't think, but I can't be, I can't swear to that. So, but it's not mentioned, and it's significant because in his initial confession, he says that he was trying all the doors and came across an unlocked door. Why would you do that if he had a key, right? But there's this key found, and it's just so it's just kind of like swept under the rug that it was never. I see, I see. In there. Martin even testifies about being beaten by the big fat man and states that he lent the gun to one of his, the other bellhops at the hotel and that that guy returned the gun to him the day after the murder. Oh, and then he hid it? I guess. So, also, investigators lied on the stand and said that his fingerprints were found on the lampshade in the room. And remember, initially, they were like, none of these fingerprints are worth anything. Like, we can't. Mm -hmm. Either they didn't match anybody or they weren't, like, you know, enough substantial fingerprint to, like, prove anything. So, the trial lasts four days and he's convicted of the crime 
from after the all-white jury deliberated mm. for just one hour. Righto, righto. And he's put on a fast track for execution in the state's brand new state-of-the-art gas chambers. Oh. Mm. His appeal was denied because Is his that lawyer... A thing? Gas chambers? Well, it was. Oh, my. That's concentration yeah. camp uh-huh. stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, my. Sure was. I didn't know North Carolina did that. Oh, they did in 1936. Wow. <laughs> they were brand new then. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how long they used him, though. His appeal was denied because his lawyer missed the deadline to file because that deadline was only two weeks after the trial. And so it was like, you know, he had to put through, get all this paperwork done. I don't know how long he missed it, like how, if it was like a day late or what, but he missed it. So they just kind of like ignored it. They didn't even look at the appeal because he missed the deadline. On December 11th, 1936, just shy of five months after the murder of Helen, Martin is put to death in Raleigh, North Carolina, in the gas chamber. And he was weeping as he was brought to the gas chamber because he was like, I did not do this. Uh, How old was he? You know, I don't know. It's not stated. You said young, right? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he's young. That's all we, that's young. 20s, 30s, maybe? Well, 20s, I would say back then. Yeah, yeah, probably. There's been lots of speculation over the years about if there's an innocent man that was put to death for this crime. And I'm not sure that we'll ever know for sure what happened to Helen because technically this case is solved. So no one's, you know, continuing to look into it. But I'm not sure that they got the right man because there was a lot of other suspicious dudes going on. Like, I'm not saying, you know, like that he wasn't suspicious, but that Mark guy, lots of stuff. I feel like, though, the key in the room would, to me, indicate that it's a hotel employee. Right. Right. nobody else, some random person that just lives across the street is not going to have a key to a room in the hotel. One would think. Unless this was very planned out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I agree. And so him saying he lent the gun to another bellhop could make that bellhop. Yep. Which they were cleared right away. But I don't know why, because it doesn't really state why they were clear. They were just like, they were probably they cleared because they had this guy. Well, no, because they were cleared early on. They didn't oh. find this guy until the New York detectives came three oh, right. weeks big later. Man. The big fat man. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Battery Park Hotel was eventually turned into apartments for the elderly. I think that's what it is now, but I don't know. Um, but it has been said that the center, that that building, it has been the center of many other tragedies over the years, like people just leaping to their death. Oh, man. It's like North Carolina Cecil Hotel? Yes. Like randomly the scaffolding when there was workers like cleaning windows or something, like just broke and fell. They survived. But like just random things happen surrounding this um, this place. But anyway. So we should go. You should, yes, we should. Totally yeah, go to we should go. <laughs> Let's go to Asheville anyway. <laughs> Agreed. So, and stop by this place. That's a crazy case. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, I mean, it's interesting, but gosh, I mean, I don't really know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they got the right guy. I wonder what the family thinks happened. Like yep. the uncle specifically because he was there. I don't know what happened to her. Why would somebody do that to her? That's so random. I feel like crimes in hotels anyways are very creepy because they seem to be so random. Right. Because you're yeah. only there for a short time. Nobody knows you. Right. The date thing. 
her having the date with the violinist. That's kind of telling, I think, because that's a could be a real explanation or motive. But why would this random janitor just come up to her room? Oh, and did he really confess? Probably yeah, not, he huh? Well, they said yeah. he did. Well, no. Well, no, he says cuz he recants it. Right. He said, but he said and I but he said he did it, he said it because he was being beaten and they were right. like coercing him to say it and he was, you know, and they say that a lot like if you question someone long enough even if you're young like teenagers oh, you know that, to be sure. You know. Yeah. That's sure, so, surely true. And there's no evidence of rape or attempted rape, so you'd think like, well, if somebody went in there to like do that and she was fighting and they just but mm-hmm. there was no evidence that that it was like she just was shot and then her face beaten in. Poor girl. Poor Helen. No, yeah, and, and who knows what she would have done? Seemed like she was going places based yeah, on chemistry. You know. Yeah, who knows? North Carolina is racking the charts with Florida <laughs> and Texas. I mean, we have some yeah. crazy crimes here. Mm-hmm. I guess we're just people are suggesting them, and we have a, a, have a good what? listener base in this area, yeah. and so There's we're a just lot learning about all of these, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know it's up there with Florida. We haven't had too many Florida cases, honestly. I mean, we've done some, but not as many as like North Carolina and Texas, I don't think. No, I agree. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of North Carolina cases. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, thank you. What an annoying case. <laughs> oh, Karen. <laughs> Good one, Beth. Good one. Correlations. <laughs> Yeah, that was really interesting. Thank you for my morning crime. Mm-hmm. We hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Let us know who you think did it. And if anybody wants to meet us in Asheville, give us a holler. <laughs> Maybe we should do a meetup in Asheville. So we we should. A lot of North Carolina and there's a lot of fun places to go in, Nash- in Asheville. So yeah. I almost said Nashville. <laughs> yeah, we can go there too. <laughs> but also Asheville. And Christy's the best wine drinker in the world. So you're going to want to come and meet us there. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, let us know what you guys think about this case. And if you have any for us, please send them our way. If you have any that aren't North Carolina cases, that are very small town cases, let's have some of those. Let's do that. Let's make some other people look crazy for a minute because my people are looking really crazy. So keep listening. Come find us on social media to see probably creepy hotel pictures this week because I'm sure Christy is going to post those. Mm -hmm. And if you like us, give us a rating and review. We've been liking the ones that have come in. It's so sweet. We wish we could respond. We say that Mm -hmm. a lot, but we really do. We really appreciate you guys so much. And um, come back if you're new. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet. The world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closets.